0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special episode of DirtCast. My name is Madeline Davies. My name is Bobby Finger. And today, we are talking about
1: Scientology. There's something very scary about this cult. We can call it cult, right? That's what we're, I mean, that's how we're going to refer to it?
0: If you want to. It does have a lot of the signifiers of a cult, and that it mm-hmm. like, isolates people from their families, mm-hmm. that type of thing. I think I would call it a fan club of a crazy man who wrote a series of sci-fi books in the 40s and 50s, um, decided that he wanted to get rich by starting a religion. And taking
1: advantage of suckers.
0: Yeah. And so that man is uh, L. Ron Hubbard, founder and like chief alien prince.
1: Chief alien officer.
0: (laughs) Of uh, Scientology. So I'm really excited to get into it. But like you, a little afraid.
1: I'm afraid that someone's gonna come knocking on our door. Uh maybe Tom
0: Cruise himself. I bet one million dollars that it's Tom Cruise himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just smiling with his weird asymmetrical teeth.
0: Yeah, and suddenly it's like a it's like a Darth Vader thing where like your nose just starts bleeding. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't say anything. He just yeah. smiles at you. There's a lot of famous people who uh do this religion, mm-hmm. which is to say they like donate a lot of money to it, and then the more money they donate, the more cleansed they are of earthly impurities. Mm-hmm. There's so many earthly impurities. David Miscavige, who currently runs the church, mm-hmm. I mean, he's having a grand
1: old time. Don't know if we can say the same for his wife, Shelly, <laughs> Shelley
0: Miscavige, who's basically been missing for a decade.
1: Mm-hmm. You'll all know Leah Remini. Leah Remini once opened a missing persons case regarding Shelley Miscavige because there they were friends when Leah was in the church, and then when Leah left the church, she pointed out that you know what. I haven't seen my friend in many, many years, and I think something's up. And then the LAPD was like, eh, this isn't anything.
0: Um, To aid us with this discussion of Scientology, we have um, sort of the leading expert in Scientology who's been reporting on it for decades, Mm -hmm. Tony Ortega, who just broke this really gruesome story about allegations made against Danny Masterson from that 70s show. At that time...
2: Danny's DJ stage name was DJ Donkey Punch.
1: And joining us later in the episode is former Scientologist Chris Shelton, who will be able to offer an insider's perspective of the fan club of Scientology. He was a member for 25 years starting when
3: he was 15. I can tell you without question that in the 17 years that I was in the Sea Org, I saw criminal activity and even one death that were covered up in order to protect the church. It's 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 a very spooky, spooky, spooky religion.
0: I guess like a lot of religions, <laughs> not to get political, um, kind of dupe its members into doing a lot of really silly things in its name where it's, you know, you have to work your way up the ranks mm-hmm. and eventually you are promoted to Sea Org if you're lucky, which right. is like the – I don't know. It's basically like the labor camp that keeps Scientology running, only it's a privilege to be a part of.
1: They do all the work. They get paid nothing.
0: Yeah. They have to like live in a bunker, basically, Mm. from what I know. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And even worse, like your contract isn't, it's not like for us where it's like, oh yeah, you have to do this job. You're going to sign a contract for two years or whatever. That contract is one billion years. One billion. And
1: while you're in it, it seems perfectly rational. It's it's completely reasonable why you're in the Church of Scientology. You're like, oh, a billion years? Oh, at least it's not two billion years. Right, where know? it's like,
0: well, once I graduate to my alien body, <laughs> yeah. um, it's not really going to matter. Like, Who cares about a billion I years? I would love to keep working for yeah. the rest of this billion years.
1: And it's it's just funny because that's, that's the case in so many cults where as an outsider, you look at all of the details and you're like, why would you ever agree to signing a billion-year contract? But when you're in it... All accounts from people who are in Scientology, it sounds like the obvious choice. I honestly gonna feel
0: it. like the perfect
1: victim to a cult. Oh, my God. Had I lived in San Francisco in the 70s, I would have, like, accidentally found myself joining Jim Jones's church. <laughs> 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 I would have Just been, like, like, and I would have been, I maybe, I maybe would have gotten out. I mean, I'd like to think I would have gotten out, but... They they play on your insecurities. They play on like you you wanting more,
0: right? And it's sort of like they play on ego. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like, hey, like there's a lot of scary stuff out there. You know, yeah. come come to our weird co- white cottoned bosom. Yeah, and you even know? though
1: and even though Jim Jones was the devil. He recruited really nice people. So you leak at all these nice people, and it's
0: like, oh, yeah, they're going to be my new friends. They're right. great. Like, I would love to be a sister wife. <laughs> yes. I would love to be a sister
1: wife. And I bet all of our upcoming guests, Chris, he was in the church for 25 years. I'm sure he made a lot of great friends. So it's like hard to leave the people you like.
0: Right. Yeah. Not like every
1: Scientologist is a bad person. Yeah. They're not all David Miscavige.
0: I'm not going to not watch Elizabeth Moss in the Handmaid's Tale just because she's a Scientologist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to watch Crash— Every month, like I normally do, because <laughs> yeah, your Michael Pena is in Crash. it. I, get, I curl up on every third Saturday. I put on Crash. I make some butterless, saltless popcorn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then ha- haggis in honor of Paul. <laughs> I make haggis. Um, but yeah, I don't know if anybody wants me to join their cult or be a sister wife with them. Just let me know. I just want to like garden and milk goats. Send me at least with like a baby on my teat. At least send us a pamphlet. Yeah, we would love to see your call pamphlets. Read it. <laughs>
1: We'll, we'll talk We'll talk it through. We'll give you an honest <laughs> shot.
0: I was once um, waiting for the train. It was an outdoor platform. And an F train pulled up, which was not the train I needed. Mm-hmm. And the conductor kept, like, beckoning me over. Oh, my God. And I was like, this is really strange. Like, I don't really – but I kept thinking, like, he was going to try to, like, tell me something about the train. And I'm a pretty, like, protective person with – Men. Um, but just like, I don't know. It was very strange. But he like eventually found a way to give me this pamphlet for the language he had invented. And like the whole pamphlet was about like how he like is teaching these language lessons, and it's just this language that he made up. And um only he speaks it. I guess. But it was just one of those things where I was like, this man operates mass transit for a giant city and he's crazy. <laughs>
1: So Today in the studio, Madeline and I have the pleasure of having the editor of The Underground Bunker and the author of The Unbreakable Miss Lovely, uh Tony Ortega. Tony Great Ortega. to be hey, here. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for having me in. Thank right.
0: you thanks of course for coming. for coming in. Yeah, I know. I was saying kind of before we started rolling that like you were our ideal guest that we were like shoot for the stars and then hopefully we'll <laughs> like, you know, get something like an asteroid or something along the yeah. way and then we like we got you in the studio, which is so exciting. What a nice place, too. Yeah. It, it almost feels too nice. I feel unworthy coming
1: into this studio sometimes. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> uh, in our, like, so- Dickensian rags as we come <laughs> yes. in here.
1: It feels, so, it feels so luxurious. We asked Tony into the studio today as a reaction to a current story that's making headlines involving Danny Masterson, who is a Scientologist. A story that he broke. He broke last week on the underground bunker, and it involves numerous allegations of sexual assault from previous sexual and romantic partners and even in the first day of its first day of it being a headline it sort of snowballed and making a bigger and bigger story so if you wouldn't mind uh, just give us a primer on that case uh, sure. what you're able to share with us
2: Sure Well what I reported Friday was that the Los Angeles Police Department is investigating allegations by three different women who all say that they were sexually assaulted raped ...by Danny Masterson, they were members of the Church of Scientology as he was. The first person that I'm calling victim A, her incident occurred in 2001. Uh, The second person, victim B, her incident occurred in 2003 and she reported to the LAPD in 2004. And there was an investigation at that time. It was supposedly closed because the other witnesses were Scientologists and disagreed with her. And then there's a third victim that's come forward... The other part of the story that I'm reporting is that the reason why this is happening now is that because of Leah Remini's show in the fall, um, Leah Remini uh, Scientology in the Aftermath on A&E, these women are coming forward now. They, they contacted Leah, and, and she really encouraged them to go forward with the uh, allegations. When I first started filming this show, I thought I would just be documenting stories of
3: families that were torn apart by the Church of Scientology's policies and practices. But what I uncovered was much deeper and
0: darker
2: than I ever expected. These incidents happened quite a while ago, but um, I based my story on two police reports and a really remarkable letter that one of the women, Victim A, wrote to the chief of police complaining about how the investigation is going and saying that the reason they didn't come forward earlier is because the Church of Scientology had threatened them, had punished them for being victims and had kept them from coming forward. So it's a, it's it's much larger than just Danny Masterson. I think it's, you know, the if the LAPD is going to treat this properly, they're going to look into the church as well. And after the story came out Friday morning, uh, the LAPD did acknowledge later in the day that they are investigating Danny. And let me just really emphasize, Danny Masterson is facing no charges at this point. These are allegations that I'm reporting on, that I am able to report on because I have actual police reports and these other documents um, in, the, in the investigation. Who was the the letter written to? How, when was that letter written? So the apparently, based on the documents, and, and also my conversations with Leah, her show started November 29th, but earlier in November, there was so much publicity about it, one of the women, Victim A, actually approached her. So that's when things started, is in November. And and in by February, Victim A was so frustrated at how the case was going, that on February 22nd, she wrote a, a note, a long note, to Chief Charlie Beck of the LAPD complaining about how the Robbery Homicide Division was handling the investigation. And most of the details in my story on Friday come from that really remarkable letter okay. where she talks about how, you know, the, the Church Scientology had punished them and kept them from coming forward, but this detective has not interviewed any witnesses and how frustrated they are. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with the investigation, but... but if according to that letter, at this point, well, she makes the allegation that the that the police department is compromised by the relationship to the Church of Scientology.
0: Which isn't unheard of. I mean, we know that they have, uh, I don't know, they have funds going in a lot of directions, <laughs> obviously. Like this is a church with a lot of money and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of you know, powerful reach.
1: What was the detail? There was a detail about a photograph being in the in the police station. Uh, oh, what was that? Michael well, Peña, right? So,
2: yeah, Leah not only encouraged these women to come forward, but she actually went down to the police department and met with these detectives in the robbery homicide division. Uh, I think she wanted them to understand, you know, some background on the Church of Scientology to understand what these women are talking about. And she And she told me that right there on the wall, they've got a picture of Michael Peña Which they probably never thought of, but she said, you know, to a young Scientologist, that really says something. Michael Peña is a a longtime Scientologist, very very involved in the church. Mm -hmm. Leah said to me, the quote I had was that she said, my experience with the Los Angeles Police Department has not been good. And if you know the background about how she's been – she filed a missing persons report on the wife of the leader of the Church of Scientology, Shelley Shelley Miscavige. And she's got no cooperation from the LAPD. She wanted some explanation about how they solved that. And um, she's frustrated with the LAPD.
0: Well, just imagining the bravery it takes to, um, I don't know, go against your church or to leave that situation where it's, you know, you have to say goodbye to almost everything Mm -hmm. you know. um, And to then just have law enforcement also be uncooperative or unsatisfactory in their investigation is just such a slap in the face to just like how brave that action is.
1: Or to almost seem like— at least maybe a photo just sort of implies some sort of, some form of collusion as well. camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, there's something, there's just something very uncomfortable about the entire thing. Right. Do you think we'll be hearing more about the Stanley Masterson case in the near future?
2: I think so. Uh, You know, the uh, allegations, uh, I mean, I I can't say a lot about what's more than what's in my story, Mm -hmm. but I have a lot of detail on that Friday story if you take a look Mm at uh, that letter the woman wrote, February 22nd letters, really got a lot of interesting detail in it. And also the the two uh, police reports that I was able to make public are interesting because they have just a bare description of what happened, mm-hmm. but they're similar. And and now you know I'm talking brutal and brutal. And I've talked to Leah, and basically all three are very similar, which is which tells you something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me just give you one detail. Yeah, you saw that they involve basically really rough treatment of a coma of an unconscious or semi-conscious woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all three of these women believe they may have been drugged and that, you know, it would involve forcible anal rape and also choking and rough treatment. Mm-hmm. What what I want to point out is what I discovered as I was reporting that story. These, these three attacks allegedly happened in 2001 through 2003. At that time, Danny's DJ stage name was DJ Donkey Punch,
0: <laughs>
2: which I looked up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it involves uh, anal sex where you hit the partner in the back of the head. Right. Yeah, And, uh, you know,
1: it's... I remember
0: that from... Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a big joke oh, in my high his, school, I feel like. His, right. And his and flyer it's,
1: it's, was... There was even a photo of an old flyer from one of his performances. One of, yeah. one of
2: my sources, one of my readers said, Tony, I've still got one of his party passes from 2001. And he sent me that photo I put online mm-hmm. of DJ Donkey Punch. So... Look, he's not been charged with anything <laughs> yeah, and right. and these are maybe, allegations. maybe never would be charged mm-hmm. with anything, but um, these are some pretty serious allegations.
0: Well, mm-hmm. and I think that one thing that you pointed out in uh, the blog is that his publicist is one of oh. the witnesses mentioned in the police report, yeah. which is just yeah. very this, insidious. That yeah. kind
2: of drove me crazy was um, – uh, so my story came out in the morning and then by about the middle of the day – Uh, websites were starting to put up her statement and Danny Masterson's rep sent us this statement and it really attacked the two, uh, two, victim A and victim B. In fact, it named victim A originally and some websites used that and some didn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just operate from the basic newspaper principle that you don't print the names of sexual assault victims. Um, So, I thought that was kind of remarkable and really attacked her, right, Mm -hmm. her credibility and everything. So what I noticed was I knew who that was, that that was Jenny Weinman. That was Danny Masterson's rep. And I, and I contacted one of these gossip sites and said, hey, was it Jenny that gave you that statement? They said, yes. And I'd also asked Jenny, and she didn't respond. So I put on my website and said, listen, everybody, I know that you're getting this statement from her that's attacking these women. But what you should know is Jenny is named as a witness on Victim B's police report. She was the one who took Victim B to the party that night. Uh. And I, I'm not saying, you know, I, you know, I'm. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. that she should not be allowed to make those kind of statements without a identifying who she is and disclosing that she was a witness in one of the investigations. Yes. I, right. I think.
0: I no, right. I mean, I think all of us as people who work and write in media would agree, and mm-hmm. that feels very uh, kindergarten level of what you should right. do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I guess just starting from the beginning, uh, to step back yeah. a number of decades, I guess, how did you begin researching and reporting on Scientology? You how know, I was begin? I'm
2: from I'm from L.A., so I, I think if you grow up in L.A., you just have sort of a basic sort of awareness of Scientology. And by 1995, I had moved to Phoenix and started writing for the the Phoenix New Times, which was this great weekly where they give the writers a lot of freedom. And I just stumbled on this letter to the editor in the daily paper complaining about the way they totally missed this story on Scientology. I was like, really? That sounds interesting. And I just looked into it. turned out to be a great story. Uh, It was my first cover story. I was a brand-new reporter. And then when I was here at The Voice, I got to The Voice in 2007, and then, of course, 2008 was anonymous, and, you know, interest in Scientology exploded. Mm -hmm. So I started to um, put some of that on the web. And then in 2011 is when... uh, Marty Rathbun, who was down in South Texas, was this former top official who started speaking out about Scientology, and they retaliated by sending this goon squad to his front porch. You've probably seen 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 those videos, (laughs) right? Well, that was my story for like three months.
3: I had it all to myself. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you got to say about that, Marty? How about that? I don't have anything to say to an unidentified punk who comes with four people to my door unidentified. Marty, I'm with Squirrel Busters Productions. goofball... Artie,
1: I'm with Squirrel Busters Production doing, a, doing an investigation on you and your squirrel technology that you're
2: promoting. So I started following that Squirrel Busters story and was just getting amazing readership. And I just decided, you know what? This is perfect subject for a daily blog.
0: And also, like, what a reporter's dream where it's just like – it's like what – it's like a fictional version of like right. what you could sink your teeth into as like a young journalist, you know? You know,
2: there's something going on. And that's the other thing I realized is, is, you know, there's something going on with Scientology somewhere in the world every day. I get tips every day from Australia, South Africa, Europe, all over the U.S. I can't keep up with them, you know? So it's I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I know mm-hmm. there are some people that wonder why would you, you know, just want to write about Scientology. But I just think of myself as a beat reporter and I got a fun beat.
0: Yeah. Well, I was actually wondering just kind of like how your tips come in. Like, is it mostly through email? Is Do people – I mean, I imagine people are afraid to come forward. Some are
2: afraid. And and I'll get – what happens is they'll approach a friend. And so somebody – a lot of the time I'll have um, one of my regular sources say, listen, I'm talking to somebody who's fresh out. They're kind of nervous. They want to talk to you. But, you know – and so you kind of get introduced to people that way. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, for every Mark Headley or Amy Scobie, or these people that we met in Leah's series, mm-hmm. there are hundreds of people that never go public mm-hmm. and just communicate with me secretly. And just, you know, we have to be very, very careful because this church is, is you know, it's, it's, it earned its reputation for a reason.
0: Right. Well, that actually leads us to our next question, mm-hmm. which is sort of what are the legal risks that have come to you personally just reporting on Scientology?
2: Well, they've never sued me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've never even had a threat letter. What they do, Scientology is so completely wrapped up in what L. Ron Hubbard wrote. And in the 50s and 60s, Hubbard laid out this playbook for how you deal with reporters. And so rather than just call me up and say, hey, listen, we didn't like the way you wrote that, you got this fact wrong, Mm -hmm. the way anybody else would, right? Mm -hmm. You're always, you know, and I'm ready for it. I'm a journalist. I know how to, you know, I want that kind of interaction. Instead, they'll send a private investigator to like, Knock on my mother's front door in California, or look up somebody I once worked with twenty years ago. I mean, they want to creep you out. Right. That's mm-hmm. just their method. And they're spread kind of thin these days, and so it'll go away for a while. And then just recently, it's come back with a real vengeance. i've been they've been really kind of going after me lately. Do you Not, think it's
0: because of Leah Remini's show? Or? Uh,
2: I think it. I think in part it had to do with this story. I oh, think. Okay. I think they knew I was working on this oh, for a little okay. while, and um, I think they knew this was a big one. So all of a sudden, I've got private investigator action that I haven't had in a while. They they make a big deal that 15 years ago I wrote a couple of satirical articles for the New Times, which if you know that company, you know. Once in a while, you write an onion-like satire, mm-hmm. Sure. And so they act like that, like ruined my journalistic credibility forever.
0: <laughs> That's the first thing that we all associate <laughs> yeah. with the name of <laughs> Tony Ortega. <laughs> 2000,
2: I mean, they literally say that. In 2002, Tony Ortega wrote a story that was not true. Well, it was a satire. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> how do you, you've mentioned Leah Remini, who's a former Scientologist that I'm sure all of our listeners are aware of at this point, um, especially visible in the past couple of years with her book and her new A&E show. Um,
2: how did you first get acquainted with her? Well, I broke the news that she left Scientology in July 2013. Then I also, the, a month later, broke the news that she um, filed that missing persons report about Shelley. Mm-hmm. So I had some just really, really excellent sources on that. And then um, over time, she's become, you know, we, we talk all the time now. And, and she's, you know, uh, doing some amazing things with this show. I mean, one of the things that was fascinating for me to watch is that if you look at the people she put on her show – The Headleys, Aaron Smith-Levin, Amy Scobie. These are stories that were not new, but there's something about Leah, right? She's so genuine and and she really made it have such an emotional impact. I was just stunned to see the reaction. It's been huge. So, yeah, I, I just, I was very impressed with the job she did.
0: Well, and she has such accessibility in that her career is sort of like, you know, she's done sitcoms, she's done movies where I think a lot of people who maybe wouldn't watch Going Clear right. are going to be more, mm-hmm. um, Leah's going to be a little bit more accessible to them. She,
1: she's a good face of the uh, sort of, I don't know how else to turn it, like the anti-Scientology movement. She's very, and you can tell in those, like in, in those interviews with Amy Scoby, people feel very comfortable, it seems, opening up to her. Right. Um, and even though we had heard the stories before, there was something um, just a little more personal, a little, a little more unsettling about all of it yeah. on the show. Yeah.
0: Do You, you kind of mentioned that Scientology has been spread a little thin over the past couple of years. And when I was doing research for this episode, I was looking up how many members they actually have. And it's really hard to pin down because they lie about it all the time. Right. So do you have any idea of yeah. how many people they have at this point? Yeah, they've
2: always lied about it. They've always said millions and they've never had millions. Um, in 1999, uh, their president, the church president that you never see anymore, his name was Heber Jench, gave a deposition and under oath. He admitted that when they say six million or eight million, they're talking about everybody who's ever bought a single book or taken a class since 1950,
0: <laughs> right? And if Dianetics walked, was a huge yeah. book, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So if you walked in
2: front of yeah, the Scientology exactly, building, if, if you like... if you walked in the door, your Scientologist they counted you. And even then, they were exaggerating, right? right. So you know, fortunately, we've had some top uh, officials come out who had access to enrollment documents, and according to them, the the greatest extent of Scientology. Was about the year 1990, they had about 100,000 people around the world. Mm -hmm. And it's been shrinking since then. And as you know, in 2008, we estimated that it was about 40,000. And then uh, just recently, I did a year ago or so, I did an interview with a guy named Paul Burkhart, who's the most recent upper level management guy to leave. He left in August 2013. And he worked at the Hollywood Guarantee Building on Hollywood Boulevard where all of the intelligence comes in from around the world. And he had daily access to documents from every org on Earth. And I said, if there's anybody that knows how big this thing is, it's you. How big is Scientology? And he said, Tony, fewer than 20,000 now oh, Wow, around the world.
0: It kind of feels like it's a – dying trend
2: oh absolutely no it's in big trouble it's in big trouble and i don't know what's going to happen uh you know miscavige is trying to get more and more money from fewer and fewer people he keeps trying to he keeps opening these new buildings as if as if he's expanding and they're mm-hmm. not right and i don't know what's going to happen which is part of the reason why i keep doing this right I, it's, it's something's, as lawrence wright put it these celebrities are facing a day of
0: reckoning sure mm-hmm.
2: you know it seems like for the past several years, there's always some new
1: case, like be it Leah Remini, be it like the SCOBY case, something's going to be the first domino and something that leads to the, the collapse of Scientology and it, they keep
2: evading that. They're very um, resilient. I mean, you know, in 1977, the largest FBI raid in FBI history was of the Church of Scientology and 11 top Scientologists ended up going to prison. Most groups would not have survived that. But the Church of Scientology is very resourceful. Very resilient. They will never give up. And do you think a lot of that has to do with the, it seems like they have sort of bottomless pockets. Back then they had a lot of money, but now they have amazing amounts of money, uh, billions and liquid assets that Miscavige can spend however he wants.
0: It sounds very like slumlord tactics in a way that where it's like, you know, I'm not struggling. Look, I'm going to put up this shitty compound. You know, you're struggling. (laughs) It feels like a scramble in a way. Yeah.
2: And there's a new trend, getting back to the good gossip stuff, the magazine gossip stuff. Thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another story I broke that, I, I that you know, gossip press is really obsessed with now is this new Tom Cruise penthouse that's going in. You know, we've all been wondering about Tom Cruise and his homes. You know, at one point, just a few years ago, he had this $55 million estate in Colorado. Mm-hmm. He,
0: we've, yeah, we've, yeah, we've talked about this yeah. before. And he had
2: yeah. one in Hollywood and he had one um, – Beverly Hills, I'm sorry, and then Hollywood Hills, that's three, um, two apartments right in this neighborhood in New York, hmm. uh, and um, I think he had something else, and he put virtually all of them on the market in the last five years. And we're all wondering, what's he, you know, what's he going to do with that? I got a tip, and... It, if, if you know what Clearwater is like, it's this little town that Scientology has basically taken over, but it's not a walled compound. I mean, you if you're walking down in downtown Clearwater, you see oh, there's a Scientology building, but that's not a Scientology building. You know, you're, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. in the middle of the campus, but you're on a public street. If you look at the footprint of what they call the flag land base, right in the middle of it, there's this bank building that's being turned into condos. And I got a tip about how the the developer, who's a Scientologist, a wealthy Mexico City uh, Scientologist, had changed the plans. And instead of the top two floors being three or four condo units, the top two floors are this double penthouse. And he's also building a a separate garage unit next to it so that whoever owns those top two floors will have a private nine-car garage with a car elevator. So the person will drive in the elevator that will lift the car to the second <laughs> floor. He'll have nine spaces for cars and then a private air bridge into the condo building, private <laughs> elevator up to the ninth and 10th floors and the roof. And the Church of Scientology told a local developer that's being built for Tom Cruise.
0: Wow. So Tom Cruise is never going to have to talk to a normal person ever, ever again. again. He can
2: just go right into his building and it's right in the middle of this Scientology spiritual mecca called Flagland Base. And And the other point I was going to make was, as they continue to open buildings in San Diego and uh, Australia mm-hmm. that are just for show, I have sensed a, a kind of a pulling back of resources to Clearwater. I think that hmm. Miscavige knows that there's some kind of end game coming, and he's bringing in his resources. and what better, than Tom Cruise right, right there in the middle of it.
1: Frequently, the, the tabloids will... I mean, the tabloids speculate about everything all the time, but it seems like one of the narratives they've been pushing recently is that Tom has a foot out the door. And every once in a while, they're like, oh, Tom might be leaving. This is what's finally going to get him out of Scientology. It's Suri Cruise. It's whatever. It's whatever this. But that is that turns out on its head. It's it's like it, he's it, getting it, bigger than he's ever gotten. There's <laughs> a
2: couple of publications that just keep pushing this idea that either Tom is leaving mm-hmm. or Tom's reuniting with his daughter. And we just never see any evidence of it. All no. the evidence I see is that he's he's as dedicated to Scientology as ever, and he's not seeing Surrey, which is so odd. Because I know people assume, well, you know, the way Katie left, um, she must have been declared SP, suppressive mm-hmm. person, which means Surrey is then called a potential trouble source, PTS, <laughs> because girl. she's connected <laughs> because she's connected to an SP, and so Tom. Uh-huh. And that would be true if it was a non-celebrity Scientology family. Sure. You know, if, if one, if the spouse had caused bad publicity for the church, you cut off all ties. But, you know, I always tell people the number one rule in Scientology is that the celebrities get to break all the rules. <laughs> So Tom Cruise can see Suri no matter what the church has said about her. He's just a bad dad. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. I mean, what what, you know? I can't believe
0: he gets away with that. That reporters never ask him about it. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah, just like a celebrity deadbeat with his palace in the sky.
1: Yeah, and 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 he keeps being in bigger and bigger
2: movies. His career is not really slowing down at all. His movies do great in China. I mean, they make so much money that it doesn't matter that he's gotten, like, mediocre reviews here and more and more stories about him and Scientology. It just doesn't – he's just such a money-making engine for them.
0: That's like, was kind of striking to me because when you were saying how, like, it's still just kind of being all built out around Tom Cruise, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, like, what a sad center for, like, your current movement just in that, like, in the U.S. he's not the star that he was 20 years ago. But I guess if he's still like pulling in that kind of capital, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that they should get like Vin Diesel or like
2: the, you know <laughs> the, rock. the Rock,
0: someone, <laughs> someone
2: new, you know. The I you, they actually do have a new guy.
0: Do they? Oh, no. Yes,
2: you got to check this guy out. He's a Polish rock star who calls himself Kubica the God, and you, you got to check out the videos <laughs> because the guy. The guy's terrible. He has no talent. But, but you know, the, the, the Celebrity Center is pumping him up like he's the next best thing. Right. And all the photos you see of him are shirtless and he's got this incredible ripped abs and it's Photoshopped. He doesn't have <laughs> – he doesn't – I've seen you know, like actual video of him and I, I don't know how he thinks he can get away with
1: that. It's he just how just like has the, the thedons
0: uh, attach themselves to him <laughs> in, in an abdominal shape. Uh,
1: you mentioned Shelly Miscavige earlier. Yeah. Um, and a, a, f- a number of months ago, I think it was in December – uh, the underground bunker broke the news that Shelley had been potentially spotted yeah. outside the uh, the Church of Spiritual Technology. Right. Can you speak more about that? Sure. Or are there any updates about that? Because she's been missing for some time, I yeah, guess.
2: Yeah. Uh, I have eyewitnesses that, you know, have her leaving Int Base. When I say IT Base, I mean the 500-acre compound outside of Hemet, California, which is the international management headquarters of, mm-hmm. of Scientology and where David Miscavige makes his primary home. That place has had up to 800 people working there now. I think it's down to more like two or 300. And that's where the hole was, okay? That's where the famous little prison was where David Miscavige kept some of his top lieutenants in a room for five years. Uh, if Shelly were being held there, we would know it, okay? Right. She disappeared from there in August or September 2005 okay. where I believe she's been the whole 11 years since then is about 60 miles away in the mountains above Los Angeles near a town called Crestline and also near Lake Arrowhead. There's a little compound with only about 15 or so Scientologists, and it's called this Church of Spiritual Technology, CST, headquarters. CST is this totally different entity of Scientology. 99% of Scientologists have no idea what they do because it's so secret within the secret Scientology. You know what I mean? CST's bizarre job is to dig these vaults around the country to bury L. Ron Hubbard's words to last the millennia so that when civilization collapses, you can go back and find that they've – they literally etch his words on stainless steel plates, put them in titanium banker boxes filled with inert gases and store them in these bomb-proof vaults. And there's one up there at Lake Arrowhead. (laughs) There's uh, two more in California and there's one in New Mexico. Shelley Miscavige, for the last 11 years, has been at the headquarter compound of that little entity working on that project, okay? Now, and the question—and clearly she's been banished there, right? Mm -hmm. Miscavige just didn't want her around anymore. And so the question is, is she there on her own choice or Mm -hmm. not, right? I would argue that she's a prisoner because not only is she no longer interacting with the rest of the world of Scientology, she doesn't get to see her own family. A woman who lives just two miles from that compound contacted me, and said that one, uh, twice in December twenty fifteen and April twenty sixteen, when she was in town in, in Crestline, she spotted this woman. This, Shelly's fifty five now, uh, with with two young beefy young guys. You know escorting her in a first in a hardware store, the Polish rock star <laughs> and then yeah right and then in a grocery store Wow and she looked bad. she said she looked and, and the woman this, this woman that happened to see that she works in she she ha, she works in uh, you know drug recovery with mm-hmm. uh, you know um, people recovering from drugs. And so she says I recognized the look. she was frail she was you know uh, she looked terrible which, you know, is not good to hear that maybe she's not doing so well up at that compound. So um, I vetted this woman and I went, you know, we went through this and I, I'm taking her seriously. I think this is a, a serious possibility that, that Shelley was allowed to go to town to pick up whatever supplies and come back and was spotted.
0: So we're kind of seeing like a lot of cracks in the foundation of Scientology more and more. Do you – what do you think – could make those cracks into, you know, canyons? Like, what could, like, what's going to be the thing that eventually breaks Scientology open?
2: Well, there's a a few different things happening. First is that David Miscavige is driving people away. I mean, he's, you know, L. Ron Hubbard came up with all these ideas, Mm -hmm. these ethics ideas, and, you know, interrogating people and splitting up families. But Miscavige has taken it to such an extreme level, and people are being kicked out for the silliest things, which then rips a family apart. And, It's driving people away. There's no question. And I think maybe some agencies that might want to do something about Scientology are holding back because they're saying, look, Miscavige is doing a great job on his own, right? But, you know, the FBI did investigate Scientology in in 2009 and 2010 and came very close, very close to raiding the base that summer of 2010. In fact, I've talked to four different informants who are talking to the FBI one of them said that he had been asked, will you ride the van with us so that we can identify the people inside? So that's how close they came. And and uh, another person told me that they had recorded the tail numbers on Tom Cruise's private airplanes in the Burbank hangar in case David Miscavige made a run for it that way. <laughs> that's how close they came. But they did not do it. Um I think the government is watching. I think the IRS, and that's that's probably the the biggest uh, piece of the puzzle is that Scientology has so much protection because in 1993, the IRS granted them tax exempt status mm-hmm. as a religious organization. And people will always say, "Oh, they they decided they're a bona fide religion." No, that's not true. American government cannot do that. The American government cannot get involved in what isn't isn't a, a religion. Mm-hmm. But they did give them tax exempt status as a, tr- a religious organization okay. and so they use that in court all the time even people that feel that 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 criminally they've been defrauded or or harassed the first thing scientology does is they go to the judge and say listen we're a church you can't get involved in what we do mm-hmm. so there's a woman in los angeles for example who signed the billion year seorg contract at 12 <laughs> and uh was forced to have an abortion at 17 uh and is suing the church over uh her you know, abusive treatment as a Sea Org worker. And the church has... I can show you the document. They've literally gone to the judge and said, we can treat our people any way we want. We're a church. And that First Amendment protection is very powerful. So if that goes, that would be a big thing. And I know that the IRS has gathered evidence, but you would really need um, a big push from the public I mean, think about how many things are going on right now in the federal government. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Scientology is just not,
1: right, it's <laughs> not a priority. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: like, all right, we'll deal with them later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. So, thanks for being here, Tony. Thank uh, you so much. I, I'm sure we'll we'll reach out in the future if anything else breaks.
2: I hope you do. I really enjoyed being on the show with you.
0: So for our next guest, we have on Chris Shelton. He is himself a former Scientologist, uh, spent decades in the church before leaving. He is the writer of the book Scientology, A to Zenu. And now he's sort of turned into a noted skeptic and also just critic with an inside knowledge of… organization.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very, uh, very happy to do this.
0: We're excited to like actually have someone who we can talk to who has inside experience as opposed Mm -hmm. to just reported experience. So we were Mm -hmm. wondering if uh, you could just sort of talk us through your history with Scientology Mm -hmm. and how at the age of 15 you
3: became involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My parents got involved when I was young and um, and I sort of kept a little bit of a distance from it until I was 15, and my dad said, hey, why don't you go down to the local church and check it out? So I went down there and took their silly personality test, and and they hooked me right in <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and got me signed up for some courses, and I started doing you know the Scientology stuff. And two years later, I finished high school and uh, was not totally sure what I was going to do with myself, and then they're like, well, we got a job for you. Uh, Eight years later, I I moved to Santa Barbara and was working there, and then eight years later, they managed to recruit me into their elite core group, which is the C organization, and that is the hardcore 24-7, all-you-do-is-Scientology all day, every day And I did that for another 17 years before I finally (laughs) broke away and realized this wasn't really everything it was cracked up to be.
0: And I imagine that's true for a lot of people who, uh, you know, their parents were into it or they were born into it where, I don't know, why would you question to sort of like what your parents are telling you to believe in, Mm -hmm. you know, or why would you look outside of that church necessarily for information when you're young?
3: Well, that's exactly right, and because it's it's no different than being raised with any religion. Even though I wasn't, we weren't going to church every Sunday. You know, my my parents were Scientologists. My all of their friends were Scientologists. My parents themselves worked for the organization for a while in the '70s. They were hardcore. And Mm -hmm. why would I think that there was anything abnormal about it when it's your day to day life? and i had and again i not you know having internet access or access to the outside world because i was getting more and more drawn into the world of scientology as the years went on it you know it seemed like the rest of the world were the abnormal part <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know and that's the viewpoint that they want you to have they right. they work very hard to indoctrinate you to have that viewpoint and i I, I unfortunately fell for it hook, line, and sinker for, for far too long.
1: How does the process of becoming a Sea Org member work? Is that is that when you signed
3: the the billion-year contract, or does that come that before? That is correct. Okay. You got <laughs> it. Yeah. What what happened was I was recruited. People sit down. The Sea Org members sit down and talk to you, and it's very, very high-pressure sales tactics. In fact, uh, it's funny because I'm actually making a video for my YouTube channel today about how they do Sea Org recruitment mm-hmm. because it involves – you know, indoctrinating you on conspiracy theories and how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the Sea Org is the only group that is doing something about it, right? <laughs> and you're given this whole song and dance where you feel that if you don't join the Sea Org, you're basically agreeing to everybody dying a horrible, grim, and awful death, right? And so, right. so you're like, wow, it's, it's really my, my obligation to do this. And you give up a lot. You make a lot of sacrifices when you when you join that group because you, you know, you're you're living on Org, in a Sea Org facility. You're eating food that's given to you by the Sea Org that uniform you. It's it's kind of paramilitary, so it's a whole lifestyle change. You know, you, it's not a nine to five job in the Sea Org. It's twenty four seven. You are all day, every day. That's all you're doing is Scientology.
0: Both of us have you know, we've watched Scientology documentaries. Like, we're both pretty well read about it. But if you asked us, like, what does the Sea Org do, neither of us would be able to answer that question.
3: Well, there's lots of different jobs that happen in the Sea Organization. They do public services, like, and by public services, I mean Scientologists who pay money to do courses or do their counseling, their mm. their auditing practices. There are Sea Org members who do that. They deliver all of the upper-level confidential materials of Scientology. So, for example, what you see on South Park, the whole Xenu thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's all delivered by Sea Org members. It all began
1: 75 million years ago. Back then, there was a galactic federation of planets, which was ruled over by the evil Lord Zenu. Xenu thought his galaxy was overpopulated, and so he rounded up countless aliens from all different planets, and then had those aliens frozen. Planet!
3: And um, they also do all of the commercials, advertising, dissemination work that gets done for the church internationally. All of that is created by the Sea Org. And they also are the management body for all of the Scientology churches internationally. And that's what I spend a good part of my time working on was managing the the churches in the Western United States.
0: It sounds like it's... um the Sea Org is both intimidating if you're not involved in it and oppressive if you are. I mean, that sounds exhausting. and
3: mm. Oh, my God. Like, you would not believe. It is grueling. You know, they call it dedicated, hardworking, you know, <laughs> or duty. But it's, you know, it's just ridiculous. They take it to such an extreme. We were getting four or five hours sleep a night for extended periods of time. There's no days off. I mean, you at best, best-case scenario— is one day off every two weeks, and hardly mm. anybody is getting that much time off. <laughs> wow. You know, you're working 8 nine o'clock in the morning until midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., all day, every day. I mean, this is it's kind of hard to get across because there really isn't anything else quite like the Sea Org. It's its own kind of crazy. And when you're when you really you know all the people who are in the sea Org, I mean, they they join because they really are convinced through a whole lot of false information given to them that they are humanity's last hope. Oh, wow. I mean, it's not like they're a bunch of evil people, you know. It's just right. that they are very misinformed, indoctrinated, you know. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of the reasons why when I got out of that thing, I was so angry, is because. I you know worked so hard for so many years only to find out that all I was really doing was making money for David Miscavige so he could wear his John lobes and fly around the world and <laughs> on his jets and do whatever he wanted to do with his life and and I was I was enabling him to do that.
0: It's very Wizard of Oz in a way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty freaky finding out about all that and getting the full extent of of how far down that rabbit hole everything went because the. There's always questions. There are always things that don't quite make a whole lot of sense, but you kind of go along with it anyway because you think you're doing so much good and, you know, and then you find out, yeah, no, not really. It it all didn't really make any sense because it was all pretty screwed up and they were just taking advantage of you.
0: So as you started to have these reactions and, you know, these thoughts, I assume you had a lot of friends in the church. Um, Perhaps Mm -hmm. your family was was still involved. What was the reaction of your colleagues and uh, the people around you?
3: Well, that was the thing is you lose them. And, um, and because all of my friends now, I mean, when you're in the Sea Org, you don't get friends outside of the Sea Org. You're too involved. <laughs> right when I got into the Sea Org, I met a woman and, and we got married and I had to leave her behind because she didn't want to leave the Sea Org and our <laughs> marriage wasn't really that, that wonderful anyway. So I lost a lot of friends who were very upset with me because I was making the choice to leave and they kind of just stopped talking to you at that point. And I've uh, had to divorce my wife. So I was mm-hmm. basically hitting the reset button on my entire life when I when I left the Sea Org.
0: Well, and that makes sense why it's so hard for so many people to leave, just because that's such oh, a huge yes. their sacrifice. Lives,
3: yeah. Their whole lives oh, are Oh, yeah. There. It's a tremendous change. And they tell you, you know, this is part of destructive cults, is they tell you, well, if you leave, you know, you're going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's. You're going to fail. The, the, and the world's a horrible place. And nobody's going to care about you. And everybody's going to hate you. And you know they just paint this picture that you're walking into hell if you leave them and so you don't want to leave them mm-hmm. <laughs> for for those kind of reasons
1: when you finally put in your 2 weeks so to speak <laughs> did they did mm-hmm. they just sort of threaten you with how miserable your life will be outside you know the organization or did they go did they take more dramatic steps to prevent you from leaving
3: it was more of a nine-month notice because <laughs> wow. that's how long it took me to get out. And what they do is there's a principle in Scientology from L. Ron Hubbard, which is a control mechanism. No, there's, I don't want to mince words here or say that that it's anything else. But there's this principle that they have in Scientology where if you are critical of something or you know making critical remarks or are criticizing. It's only because of your own moral transgressions against that thing. Hmm. You know, if you're in a marriage and the marriage isn't going well, well, it's only because of what you've done, not because you're in a bad marriage or because of anything your wife did. You, the wife, for example, could be in a situation where her husband is beating her. And yeah, no, it's on you because you're critical of him, right? Wow. That's, a, that's an extreme example to demonstrate the point, right? And the same thing applies with the group. If you want to leave the group, well, it must be because you've been doing things that we don't know about that you need to tell us because, you know, that's the only reason you'd want to leave. And so there's a process they put you through called a security check uh, where they put you on that e-meter and they ask you very direct and very sharp and pointed questions to get you to tell them all of the bad things that you've been up to. It's so. And they put you through this whole process and it took me nine months to get through that and go, "Yeah, okay. Well, I did all these bad things, but you know what? I want to leave anyway." Right. <laughs> it's so stunningly you know? manipulative. And they and they have and they will use that information against people like me who go out and become critics against the church to try to make us look bad.
1: So you've mentioned how how hard it is to leave the organization, um, and how hard they will fight to keep you in. But I guess on the other side of that coin, they also will do whatever it takes to protect their current members. And so that sort of brings us to the topic of Danny Masterson, the actor and current Scientologist, who has been accused of sexually assaulting multiple women in the past, and the implication here and in this reporting is that Scientology or members of the Church of Scientology have done their part in insulating him from any legal process.
3: That, and I can tell you for a fact that that goes on in the and church. That goes on. I'll be specific enough as I can, but I can tell you without question that in the 17 years that I was in the Sea Org, I saw criminal activity and even one death that were covered up in order to protect the church and the death was questionable it wasn't necessarily the church's fault but it was there was a, a a person who died connected to scientology who was doing scientology services and my efforts at the time not knowing that that this was you know a PR problem i was trying to look into it to make sure that anybody who you know connected with that was had not done anything wrong and i was stopped in every single effort i made to try to look into that by the Office of Special Affairs, which is the church's legal and investigative division, because of the PR ramifications of it. And nothing could be talked about with it. Nothing could even be written about it. Every written document connected with that person's death, every uh, communication, email, everything was deleted out of the system, and uh, it was sort of like you know the name that must not be spoken anymore, right? And that happened mm-hmm. while I was there. There were also criminal activities of, um, well, there was statutory rape. There was other, you know, there was other actions of a sexual nature that were covered up. Uh, they were kept internal. The police were never contacted. Parents, uh, were sat down and told that the church will handle this internally. We're not going to call the police. You're not going to call the police. We're going to deal with this. And, uh, and the parents were convinced to not do that. And that happened at least three times that I know of.
0: That's horrific.
3: Have you ever experienced a
1: Scientology member actually make that step to contact the police or some sort of legal authorities and and have it sort of roadblocked by uh, Scientology? Have you seen them take it a step further and only to be stopped by
3: someone involved in Scientology? There was one person whose parents called the police. Mm. This was a person who was in the C organization, and the parents were very concerned, hadn't heard from this person, and uh, hadn't been able to get through to them. And so they called the police. The police showed up, said, hey, we got this report. Where's this person? And the, and the the church had to produce the body, you know, of this person. You know, this 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 Org member had to come out and talk to the police. The
0: living body, to be the clear. Living body. <laughs> the living body. That's right. That's
3: right. Yeah, yeah. No, the person came out. And I'm trying to not even identify the the, the gender of the sure. individual. But that person came out had to have a whole conversation with the police. The police went away, satisfied that the person was fine. Then that person got in a lot of trouble because, you know, the, because of what the parents had done. And almost got kicked out, wow. which probably would have been a good thing, really. Sure. But not from the point of view of all of us at the time, right? This right. was what we called a flap. This is what they call it when in Scientology. If there's a problem of this nature, it's, it's called a flap. You know, it's this flapping thing that flaps around. And, uh, and they had to deal with this flap, you know, this PR flap. And that is very similar to... Um, you know, to what's going on with uh, Danny Masterson right now as I'm sure there's a, because he's a celebrity, it takes on a whole nother level of intensity. There's an organization within Scientology called the Celebrity Center, which deals with nothing but celebrities. And specifically there's a, there's an office in Celebrity Center called the President's Office, which is the liaison point between the celebrities and their personal lives. So the President's Office, I'm sure right now is having a complete meltdown over this whole incident. And there's probably people in all kinds of huge trouble right now just because this got into the newspapers, you know?
0: Yeah. And so, it, I mean, it sounds like the length they'll go to to protect a celebrity member is sort of, they haven't hit the limits of that mm-hmm. yet. Like, you know.
3: <laughs> oh, no. They'll go to any length. But they're really misguided on this. They think they're saving the world and they will do, it, it is church before anything, the the organization of Scientology comes first before anything else, before family, before friends, before career, before your life. And so any lie they have to tell, any deception they have to do is justified in their minds.
0: I'm really curious, though, about like what the rhetoric is behind like convincing people that this is, that, you know, that you are a superhero basically like what mm-hmm. it like what do scientologists say they do that is so heroic and impressive
3: one they feel like the world needs to be saved that was the first thing i had to disabuse myself of when i came out was <laughs> oh yeah no the world doesn't really need saving it's not really going anywhere right. but uh, but they think it is right and they and they and, and and like i mentioned in the recruitment they push that very heavily they push conspiracy theories they push alex jones level conspiracy <laughs> theories that the government is going to come and take away your rights that that there are that the psychiatry is out to kill everybody. I mean, they're really mm-hmm. anti-psychiatry. And so they 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 create this mindset uh, that us versus them mindset is very intense. But they also create a mindset where what they're doing in Scientology with the with the auditing procedures, the counseling that they do has a bigger effect on things than just you personally. Now it's kind of complicated, so I won't get into all the details, but basically when you get up to those upper confidential levels, Scientologists who do those levels believe that by, that by going into their auditing and doing that that pr- those procedures, they are having a positive uh, effect on the world at large. And I'll give you a specific example to demonstrate this. this was in 1987, 88. Remember when the wall came down, Berlin Wall? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Scientologists <heard> <laughs> thought they were the ones responsible for that. Oh, ooh, yikes. <laughs> because 1988 was the year uh, that OT-8, the highest level, the highest OT level, was released. So what was it, 89 or 90 that the wall came down? Mm-hmm. They thought that was a direct effect of people being audited on OT-8. Well, and is, the wall good came for down. them. Are,
0: Berlin thanks <laughs> them. <laughs> are, That's are,
1: right. Are conclusions like that used in, in the recruitment materials pretty pretty early on? No.
3: That's not something you're going to hear when you come in off the street. Okay. What you're going to hear when you come in off the street is what it's going to do for you personally. And what they the, the basic procedure is they do a personality test or not, whatever they can do to get you talking to them and, and you telling them what's troubling you, what's concerning you, what what's your problem in life or problems. And if they can get you talking to them and they listen very carefully and they're very caring and they're nodding and they're they're really understanding what you're saying, and then they offer you a solution to whatever the big problem is that you're trying to resolve, whether it's a, a job issue, problem with your kids, problem with your marriage, you, you're shy and introverted, which was my problem when I was 15 years old, they have some class or some thing they will offer you that will that will... They, they say, we'll handle that for you.
0: And you can really tell how that would appeal to, you know, wealthier people where it's just like, you know, I have all this money. So I have much. all these things and I'm still unhappy. You know, what can fix that? And it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, here's the you solution. got it. And ultimately, like, every single person on earth could fall victim to a con. Like, there's right. no, there's no <laughs> person who's like. <laughs> exactly.
3: There's nobody who's con-proof. There's nobody who's con-proof. It's just a matter of what is it that's going to get to you. It's not that nothing's going to get to you. There's there is nobody who is impervious to it, because mm-hmm. they're going to come at you with all kinds of appeals to your emotion, and that's how they get you. They don't they don't reason you into Scientology, they make you feel your way into Scientology, and that's
0: your, so much more powerful, yeah. you know.
3: Oh my God, way more powerful. Find your emotion trumps logic every single day of the week. Well,
0: Chris. Thank you so much.
3: Absolutely. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to do this. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. course, my pleasure. So we have been talking about some pretty heavy topics this episode. I kind of want to lighten it up a little bit. Good. Just a little bit. With a game. With a quiz? With a game and a quiz. Just a quiz.
1: I'm nervous. Am I gonna am I gonna do bad as badly as I did on the celebrity sex lives one? Probably. Probably.
0: Okay. Um, but this is a quiz about uh, celebrity Scientologists. Okay.
1: Okay. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm pretty well versed in the world of celebrity Scientologists. Yeah. But I also thought that I was pretty well versed in the world of celebrity fucking. But I guess
0: not. This I'm, maybe yeah. I'm not. We're just disappointing ourselves left <laughs> and right on this podcast. Okay. We're gonna start. Okay. Question right. one. Who said this? When you're a Scientologist and you drive by an accident, you know you have to do something about it because you know you're the only one who can really help. We are the way to happiness. We can bring peace and unite cultures. And it's a multiple choice if that's helpful. Multiple
1: choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. A, John Travolta. Okay. B, Kirstie Alley. C, Tom Cruise. D, Juliette Lewis. Kirstie Alley. Wrong. Was it John Travolta?
3: Nope. (laughs) Fuck.
0: Was it? Wait,
1: it wasn't Tom Cruise.
0: It was Tom, it Cruise. Was Tom Cruise. It was Tom, Tom Cruise in that infamous uh, interview with Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer.
3: Being a Scientologist, when you drive past an accident, it's not like anyone else. As you drive past, you know you have to do
1: something about it because you know you're the only one that can really help. Well,
0: God damn it. Okay.
1: Xenu <laughs> damn it.
0: Um, all right. So question two. Mm-hmm. Who said this on Scientology? There is so much focus on the I guess, empowerment and sort of respecting yourself and yourself as an individual was this, A, Elizabeth Moss, B, Laura Preppen, C, Peaches Geldof, D, Erica <laughs> Christensen. Do you want the quote one more time?
1: No, I'm going to say Laura Prepon. You're wrong. Was it Erica Christensen? Nope. It was Peaches Geldof? Nope. Was How was this happening? It was, it was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. Moss. <laughs> See, I I never hear Elizabeth Moss talk about Scientology, and I thought I didn't think she had, had many uh, statements about it.
0: Yeah, it's rare. It's one of her few. Because there's
1: so much focus on the, I guess, empowerment and and sort yeah. of respecting yourself
0: and and yourself as an individual. God. Okay. Question three: Which of these public personas is not a former Scientologist? Mm. A. Paul Haggis. B. Neil Gaiman. C. Jeffrey Tambor, D, Heather Graham.
1: I I don't think Heather Graham has ever been associated. Is
0: Heather Graham not? You got it right. All honey.
1: right. Okay, good.
0: Yay. Wow. Okay. This question is many parts. Okay. Basically, you have to decide is this a quote from a Beck song? God, Beck, a famous a Scientologist. Scientologist. Yeah. Or is it a quote from L. Ron Hubbard, Jesus. founder of Scientology? Okay, ready? Oh, my God. Okay. The only time anyone has ever gotten into serious trouble was when he decided he could do nothing about something. L. Ron Hubbard. Yes. Okay. One of the ways you learn about life is to associate with people. Uh, Beck. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know that I'm okay any more than anyone else is okay. Beck. Nope. Are you— God damn it. Okay. (laughs) They know your secrets and you know theirs. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard. No. It was back. That's back. That's from Lost Cause Version Uh 2. They know your secrets. You know theirs. Okay. Man Mm -hmm. has been preoccupied with finding a science of the mind that could not only isolate the common denominator of life and the goal of thought. See, is
1: this is this this must be Elron Hubbard. But what if it's Beck summarizing the teachings of Elron Hubbard? Is this a trick question? Elron Hubbard. It's L.
0: Ron okay. Hubbard. <laughs> Everywhere I look, there's a dead end waiting. Beck. It's Beck. It's from Devil's Haircut. Mm.
1: You did good. Oh, that's it. Oh, I got fifty percent,
0: didn't I? There are more X's than checks, but I think you did mm. a fine job, Bobby. I did better than I did on the sex quiz. Yeah. Also, you have made it to the next level of our auditing process. Oh, my God.
1: Another episode in the can.
0: In the can. It was a great one. Yeah, let's take that can. Let's uh, bury it in an underground vault (laughs) with Shelly Miscavige um, and those weird plates that they're making.
1: Yeah, so that people for the next, you know, hundreds of centuries can just revisit this podcast episode and realize um, what Scientology was all about. Um, So thank you so much to Tony Ortega and Chris Shelton for being our guests today and enlightening us about this wonderful fan club. Um, And thank you for listening to our podcast for the fifth week in a row. Um, Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Mondanabo Fidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Wanna send us a tip or just let us know what you think? Hit us up at dirtcast at Jezebel.com. Rate and subscribe. Rate and subscribe on iTunes.